HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chefs' grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Resnitz. We sit down with one of our favorite people in L.A., Royce Burke at his new place, Yarrow Cafe. We talk about how he taught himself how to cook, growing up in a big family, the hustle and grind of being a private chef, his love for carrots and the secrets of Chinatown, namely a secret called lasagna. Then we dig deep into the archives for one of our favorite bands from New Jersey, the Static Jacks. Here we go. Sit down and listen to Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, sitting with the local LA legend, Royce Burke, co-owner, owner, chef of many things, but most notably right now, Yarrow Cafe, which we just had a delicious breakfast at. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we were Instagram friends first. Yes. And I think the first time we met in real life was I was finishing a meal at Friedman's <laughs> and I, yes. was, I was getting up to leave uh, my second home. Which yes, is that restaurant. Uh, and I saw you at the table with your brother. Yes, yeah, yeah. Brother. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I have to say, I was like, I was, I knew that we were going to meet in real life, but I was like, <laughs> "Well, we got to pull the bandaid off." Well, we've also just known each other through our mutual friend Kate Green's Instagram. Yeah. For some <laughs> shout out to Kate Green. Um, where'd you grow up? I grew up kind of all over California. Actually, I was born in Portland, Oregon. But we moved when I was six months old, so I never really count that. Yeah. Um, and then lived in Tahoe Donner till I was five or six, and then Auburn, and then Sacramento. And then I moved to St. Helena to start studying winemaking. And then San Francisco, where my family's from, and then back to St. Helena, and then to LA. Wow. So, so California. California. <laughs> um, your mom cooked, right? Your mom was a big cook? My mom cooked, um, I think, initially a lot from necessity. Like, my dad was originally the one who cooked a lot. Um, but my dad worked crazy hours. Uh, he was an electrician for most of my young life. Um, so I would like, it's, I think that's why I still get up so early is he would, he would leave at like three in the morning and then I wouldn't see him until late at night. So if I wanted to hang out with him in the morning, I had to get up crazy early and that just stuck with you. Yeah. I haven't been able to like sleep past six or seven in the morning. And so, um, Early risers, yeah. breakfast a big part of the family tradition, or was it like yeah. a coffee and eggs type of toast thing? I think it was, we ate a lot of, we were very poor when I was young, so a lot of oatmeal, mm -hmm. which I has, still have an appreciation for. It's a good, um, it's a good fuel. It's a solid fuel. Yeah. Um, oatmeal, um, my mom put a lot of emphasis on healthier foods, um, which I think has stuck with me. But I think the thing that stuck with me the most, I, like we're more of a dinner family because we were, at that point, my family was very religious. Um, I am not anymore, obviously. <laughs> um, but we, so we would entertain a lot. We'd have people over from church a lot. Gotcha. So it was always about big dinners and everything else. Um, and that was where I, like my mom could just make magic out of nothing. Like, I'd look in the fridge and I wouldn't, I'd be like, this is, what are you going to do with it? This is You're like, mom, crazy. we have 20 people coming over, what yeah. are you going to do? And, it was just like, and she would just make some of the most delicious food I've ever had out of what appeared to be nothing. And that was, it's always been inspiring to me. And it's when I have the most fun creating things. You know, it's funny how inspiring mom's cooking can be. Mm -hmm. it's, and so many chefs go back to that because it yeah. is this magical thing when you're younger. And by younger, I mean like five or six. And yeah. the, the idea of being like... I see a bunch of raw stuff or, or just a bunch of stuff in packets and then all of a sudden it becomes this beautiful bounty that everybody's yeah. gathering around. No, absolutely. Uh, and I think I had, I had my mom's you know, ability to, to make things out of nothing and then my grandmother had immigrated from Alsace when she was really young. So she had like this kind of crazy French-German palate mm. and that was the first time I tried pickled herring and all this and mm -hmm. it was like... My mom did not like it. My mom doesn't like mushrooms, mm. which is still blows my mind. Which, by the way, if you have the uh, vegetable toast here with eggs. There's a few mushrooms. A few mushrooms. <laughs> um, but so learning not just cooking from your mom, but also 
hosting gets ingrained in you, right? And that's something I think you either yes. grow up with or you don't. I, you know, my mom and my dad had a very much open door policy of people mm-hmm. coming over and things like that. And so it sounds like your mom had the same. Yeah, I think my my mom and my dad both. Um, yeah, we entertained a lot growing up, and I've just always put so much value on having people around that act like cooking for a group of people and having that like I don't know I don't know what to what to call that feeling but it's I think of it sometimes as more of a sound than actually as like a what do you mean vi- it's just like I, I think of the sound of those things like the the smells of the food and then wine glasses clinking and bottles corks being pulled which my current parties like have that. more corks yeah. I think than oh, man. than my girls yeah um um, but, but you come from a big family, yes. right? And you, as you mentioned, said had limited resources growing up. Yes. Um, how does that shape your journey to like getting into food and to growing up with sort of a scrappiness, but also knowing that you want to need to provide for a lot of people? And how does it approach who you are or influence? Well, I, th- I think for most of my life, it was it was just something that I really enjoyed doing and being able to do at home. It was something that always all the jobs I had were very stressful I worked for a real estate development company in San Francisco and we were going through right after white when Millennium Tower was finished on construction the 2008 recession hit Uh, so there was just a lot of stress around me constantly so it was the thing that I could just go back to to calm me down and so I'd always resisted actually doing it professionally because I thought that would spoil. You didn't want to sully the waters, right? I don't want to sully the waters. I didn't want to. I didn't want to wake up one day and realize that I didn't enjoy cooking anymore because it was a job. So, it's but it wasn't a job at the time. And no. You're 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 self-taught, right? Yes, self-taught. Um, never went to school for it. I started. Do you ever feel that you should have gone to school? I mean, I would argue that success has found you. Uh, but do you ever do you ever I, itch for that? I think every once it's like every once in a while when I'm. I'm cooking with, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to cook with some awesome chefs, and it's like I still get a little nervous because I'm like, I don't, I don't know if he tells me to do some like a brunoise so, or something like that. Yeah, like I, I know how to do it, but I don't know how to do the, I don't know the name. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like right. it's that it's that odd thing where I still get slightly self-conscious about it, but I, I've gotten less and less as time goes on, and I realize that I, I know how to cook, and I can yeah make it work. Um, so what was your first professional foray, and how did you get started with no professional background? So my very first, there used to be a company based out of San Francisco called Kitchet, and my brother's girlfriend at the time had gone to high school with the founder, so she kept, we were in Monterey on vacation just making some uh, dinner for the family, and she was like, why, why have you never done this? Like, why have you never tried to do this professionally? Because we were talking about how I had a consulting company at the time, and it was driving me crazy. My clients were a nightmare. And she's like, why, why haven't you tried to do this professionally? And I was like, well, I, I don't even know. Like, I'm, I didn't go to school for it. I don't know yeah. how I would even get started doing that. So there was this company that her high school friend had started called Kitchen. Um, and it basically vetted private chefs and then handled, like, you'd put menus, sample menus and stuff gotcha. up online. yeah. yeah. And then clients would hire you through that. They provided the insurance policy, et cetera. And so that's kind of how I got started. My very first, the very first time I got paid to cook for somebody was someone had rented out this crazy house in Santa Barbara and they hired me through the site. I 
was living between St. Helena and San Francisco. And so I drove, I took a Greyhound bus from San Francisco to Santa Barbara <laughs> with all my knives and everything in my backpack. Got all my ingredients at Whole Foods. Terrible cost of goods. Oh, man. Um, what are those margins? Yeah. Not good. <laughs> and, and got an Uber all the way up the hill to this crazy mansion that apparently the inventor of the English muffin had built. Really? And, yeah, it was really bizarre. Were there a lot of nooks and crannies in the house? <laughs> good one. Thank you. Um, and then cooked for six people. Took, I had made friends with the Uber driver, so he picked me up. Nice. When I was done, I just texted him, paid him cash. Drove back down the hill. And then my Greyhound to L.A. didn't leave until 6 in the morning. So I sat on a park bench reading, uh, reading a couple cookbooks till 6 a.m. in Santa Barbara and froze my balls off. But, I mean, that's... But did that give you the confidence? Like, once you did that... Yeah. Like, that sort of... Well, I think it's also... Through. It broke through and it also taught me, like, everything that I'd enjoyed about other careers I'd worked in. Like, I've always enjoyed being the guy they knew they could call who could pull off what seemed to be impossible. Who could show up. Who, like, when we were doing Millennium Tower, you know, get the call at 2 in the morning to get an electrician out of bed to turn on a 60-story luxury tower so a billionaire could see the view from their penthouse at night. Of course, which is a normal, I mean... Yeah, totally normal. Totally normal, half of the time. And so, like, in the cooking setting, it was like a... Uh, like, that, that, that first dinner, I had completely forgotten an ingredient for dessert. Yeah. At Whole Foods. So I had to improvise on the spot. There was bananas on the counter. And I'm making like a caramelized banana tart or something with some cayenne, some sort of cayenne maple syrup reduction. Um, and it was delicious and everyone loved it. And it was like, I realized that if I could, if I could improvise well, then no one would ever get too mad at me. So I want to jump ahead a little bit. Um, as you figured out the private chef yeah. thing, um, you make your way to Napa. Um, what brought you to Napa, and how did you start getting into professional kitchens? So, originally, I moved to Napa Valley. My cousin had just moved there from San Francisco. Um, she subsequently married uh, a wonderful man. They own uh, Costner Western Winery Ooh. in St. Helena. Um, and I was living with her, helping take care of her son, going to school at Napa Valley College and studying winemaking. Worked for Nails Vingi at uh, Saddleback Cellars and a couple other people. And I think it was just another, that was another place that really Changing. continued the fascination with cooking because the access to ingredients was crazy. The farmer's market was so much fun. <laughs> I mean, talk it's, about being in the source. Oh my God. It's so dumb. And it was, my friends have this um, crazy property, Ellers, on Ellers Lane out there, right by Ellers Winery. And we would just throw, crazy parties out there now, that were weren't necessarily a, dinner parties but were parties there were parties but were you in a and you so you're doing the kitchen and you're doing the parties as well was this no, sort of in so in napa i wasn't i didn't cook professionally in napa i didn't start actually cooking professionally until i started moving to la so you're sort of putting together your foundation mm -hmm. in napa and then what brought you to la i i I had been coming down here because my ex-wife's family lived in Orange County, so we would go visit them. Mm -hmm. And every time I, I strongly dislike Orange County in general, there's some cool food things happening. Vietnamese there food down there. It's great Vietnamese food. Um, but I had every time I'd spent time in Los Angeles, 
it was just getting harder and harder to leave. I was really sure. falling for the city. Uh, it's so it's just it's crazy. I didn't I didn't know why at the time, but I just really loved it. And my friend DJ, who had moved from Calistoga up in the Napa Valley to Los Angeles, kept trying to get me to move down here. Yeah. And uh, so I started crashing on his couch when I would come down more and more frequently. I was working on a, a documentary they were producing. I was helping produce this documentary. Um, and I was still doing the consulting stuff, so I was still going back and forth between San Francisco and L.A. like three still or four t- times a week. Still taking the Greyhound? Uh, Greyhound, or I think like Megabus started sometime around mm. then, and then I was driving a lot. Um, and, yeah, I, it was it was just stressful. The, the documentary kind of blew up because someone... Some emotions were too close to the surface, and actors, well, when they're producing, it was, if it's they're good story. actors, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Um, anyhow, so, yeah, I think, I think as I started, after that first private cooking job, I started getting a lot of, I was just put my location as Los Angeles. Yeah, you're getting more jobs. Um, and so I started getting a lot of jobs in Los Angeles, and... I just was having a blast doing it. I really enjoyed it. It would, even though it was insanely stressful. Yeah. Like after after I did, got rid of my second car because I couldn't pay for it anymore because <laughs> I was living in LA and getting chewed up. Um, I was I was taking like three buses and a train to do a two person dinner in Riverside for an anniversary. And you're like, it's time to make just, a big change, right? Yeah, it's just crazy, and I was, it was like exhausting but i still i still loved it um and then i got the the offer to, to create the food program at chimney coffee which well, was oh yeah no no, no. i'm uh, getting ahead of myself no no no, no. it's great but i <laughs> want to take a break because okay. i want to get into chimney coffee and Perfect. i want to take into secret lasagna yes um but we're gonna take a quick break Hit me. uh so we're gonna hear a song from the archives here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network.org
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Royce Burke of URL Cafe, Secret Lasagna, Man About Town, at every <laughs> food event, the guy who shows up. Um, so we're talking about how the Siren Song of LA called you, you moved, seduced, me. seduced you, moved down here, um, and uh, how you got involved with Chimney Coffee. For those who are not familiar with it, what is Chimney Coffee? So Chimney was a little cafe that was completely hidden, uh, owned by the same people who own Laxi Market, which is an amazing Thai restaurant supply place, but it's open to the public, so please go and buy delicious Thai food. They actually have a, a Thai barbecue place inside. It's called, I think it's called Laxi Barbecue. Mm. Inside, uh, and the owner's, the owner, Anak, his mother st is still there cooking every day. It's, it's pretty incredible. Jonathan Gold used to go a lot, quite frequently. Um, RIP Jonathan. Um, but yeah, so they owned this little cafe right in front of Laxi. There's zero foot traffic, zero visibility. Sure. And so it was just like there was local people who live in like the brewery over there yeah. that knew about it. It was right near Chinatown. I had I was literally living across the street in a warehouse. Um, How was from, that? Uh, it's it's funny. Um, it was like we had a photography studio on one side, one truly horrible roommate. Um, I just I just saw him at the taste the other night. Oh, he was yeah. taking pictures for somebody. How was that? Do you, I was like I want to kill him. Do you stink I am? Yeah. Well, yeah. I had like several people stink I am for me, which was good. So you're living across from Chimney, and how did it get started? Were you just going there for coffee, and then you're like, I want to, I think I could do something here. I was going there for coffee, and then I had started. I had become friends with the owner, and he started. He and his brother started coming to my dinner parties, and he called me like right after the beginning of the year. I feel like February first or second one year, and his the only person who was like making sandwiches in the back. And they had this massive kitchen. They weren't doing anything with it. Hmm. Um, they're just making like panini press sandwiches sure. or something. Yeah. Had just quit, and he called me and he was like, "That would you be interested in doing something? Just testing something out, whatever." And so I started doing like a couple days a week, just testing out some different sandwiches or menu items or things. And then we decided to go full time. I created a full food menu. Started getting a lot of press. Um, and we, by the time I left, were, we had the Silver Lake Echo Park brunch crowd down because we had a ton of parking. Awesome. So it was just full of strollers. We took over another space next door and hmm. expanded. How um, did you feel the approach was since you had been doing private chefing and dinner parties versus a restaurant where it's not always on your terms? Yeah. You know, where it's like you got to open up those doors every day. Um, mentally, did you enjoy that, that shift? It's, def it's definitely a learning curve. There's a lot of there's a lot that has to change. You don't have like there's there's elements of like when I do just one off events where I'm just doing stuff, I have so much fun. Yeah. Because you're just it's your there's always an element of winging it that takes place in that that's just thrilling for me, especially when you pull it off. Yeah. Um but yeah, it was it was just a new challenge and I've always loved new challenges. It was, it definitely took a lot of learning, a lot of figuring out, um, especially when you and the owner don't always see eye to eye. Sure. You know, it's, 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 it takes a lot, um, but it, I'm, it and, was good. And it prepared you for your next spot, right? Yeah. Which was your first spot. 
secret yes. lasagna, right? Yes. So right. secret lasagna is this mythical <laughs> restaurant uh, pop-up vibe. Um, how did that get started? What was it? So it got started. I was planning to do another breakfast and lunch restaurant at Mandarin Plaza, and I was working on rebuilding or re, uh, yeah, reconfiguring a restaurant space in Mandarin Plaza that took a lot more time and money than I expected naively or had. Um, so that was fun. Um, but at the same time, I had I had wanted to do something in a late night area for a while because just before that, I had been living in the fashion district mm -hmm. and realized that there was very few, with the exception of like LA Cafe, which is like aggressively mediocre. It was- You gotta try to be that mediocre. It's really hard to get that mediocre and they succeed by, in spoonfuls. Um, I think, yeah, I just, I, there was, I felt like there was such a gaping hole in the late night sphere and everyone is up at all hours doing all manner of unmentionable things and they're hungry. Yeah. Um, so I'd wanted to play in that for a while. We came up, my brother, Justin, who works with me, um, had come up, we were probably stoned in the backyard one night and had come up with this, with a name, secret lasagna. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, that's really good. It's a good name. Like we got to make lasagna now. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do for the late night thing, but I knew I wanted it, especially with chimney. We had realized how big delivery could be. Sure. We had started working with Uber Eats. We were the second restaurant in LA on Uber Eats when they launched here. And so I knew delivery needed to be a big factor in it and it needed to be able to deliver hot. Yeah. As good as it, you know, came out of the oven. So lasagna was perfect because it's getting sent out in the same tins it's cooked in. Right. So it's, it stays hot for like 45 minutes to an hour. And it gets good. And, it, and if it gets, and even it starts cooling off, it just keeps getting better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lasagna. It's lasagna. I put it in the fridge overnight and reheat it, it's getting even better. I mean, it's crazy. There, there are times when I don't even reheat it. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just get up and I'll fork it. <sighs> yeah, Jones and Fred. Exactly. So you open it up and what yeah. was that like? Cause you were now the owner, right? You were- Yes. So chef owner, first time, so. It was crazy. Yeah, I, and it I, took I, off too, right? It started taking off, uh, and at the same time, the space that I was planning on doing it out of was falling apart because I couldn't finish it. Um, it was kind of a weird nightmare scenario that was a good learning experience. Um, I'm very thankful for George Yu and Faris Plaza because that family has been... They've been really good to the LA food scene. They've been really, really good to the LA really food good. scene. Really and it's good. and it's all like everyone in that plaza is family. I mean, I hung the light fixtures at Lhasa. They're Shout their out. brothers. Chase and Chad. Chad and Chase, Chase and Chad. Love those guys. Chad's hat. So sexy. <laughs> um And to Amanda and Johnny. Yes. Love Amanda and Johnny, the sweetest people ever. Jack at Endorphine, oh, yeah. who also did my coffee program. Coffee at program Yaro. is great. Thank you, Jack. Um, so you're opening there and you're, you're running it, um, but it wasn't open for a while. No, it was just a, it was just for delivery. And because we were working out of like a hidden commissary kitchen that I couldn't really have people. <laughs> right. And it was kind of crazy because as it got popular and we started getting all these write-ups, people were like looking at other people's Instagrams and finding it like finding us in a dark corner in Farias Plaza what was and the trying to get into the kitchen. Uh, 
It's best, <laughs> best not addressed. Press murky not at best. Murky at best. And so did you shut it down before you got shut down or? Yes. Yeah. 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 Never. I think, I think, uh, I think people looked for it for a while um, from the, uh, the LA Health Department. And so but, what brought you to Yarrow? So Yarrow, it was kind of, I had, I had closed Secret Lasagna and I didn't know how to approach bringing it back at the time. It was, I was, I was kind of in a weird limbo state. Uh, I, had my, I was doing a lot of private events again and um, my personal life was a little crazy. My marriage was ending and it was a lot. Everything was kind of happening at once. Sometimes and it happens. Sometimes it happens. And a lot of times it's for the best. Um, and then I met um, Asher and Emily, who had Hyperslow Cafe and Yoga Studio. Yep. And through Charlie, who makes all my aprons, White Bark Workwear. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Um, and instantly became really good friends with them. They just, they just really wanted to focus on the yoga studio, and they wanted someone who could just come in and take over the whole cafe. Which is great, because yep. your, your yoga studio dreams went out the window years oh, ago. Oh, years ago. Years I, ago. I haven't been that flexible in time. <laughs> um, but so, that, yeah. That's great, though, because a lot of times, you know, finding the space, getting it started as you've gone through, here's a spot that already exists, that already has the infrastructure of a cafe, so you used to sort of focus on the menu, and not to mention that you're a stone's throw from the farmer's market. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, to go from secret lasagna, which had meat, and yeah. meat heavy, to do something that is wildly vegetarian. Wildly um, vegetarian. And I think, like, the... What my drove, Yeah, what drove you to that? My mentality didn't actually change that much because, I mean, even with secret lasagna, when we did the top secret lasagna, the vegan one, I really just wanted to throw the rule book out instead of just doing, like, shitty gluten-free pasta. The worst. And oh, brown rice pasta, good lord. Um... <laughs> And I, I decided to just, I focused on all the vegetable elements and we used shredded roasted zucchini instead of using uh, noodles and, and just created something like, I didn't try to make the cashew cream or the, the ricotta substitute taste like cheese. I just tried to make them taste delicious. Which I think because, is the best way to do it. Yeah. I'm not trying, like cheese is cheese. It comes out of an animal. Yeah. And then you do things to it, and it becomes cheese. Lydia will take issue with some of those statements from Detail Cheese. But, yeah. um, but that being said, at the cafe, you do serve the Impossible Burger. I do. And I love, like, the Impossible Burger, I actually love not necessarily for vegans. Yeah. Because it tastes like meat. Yeah. Like, I, most vegans don't want that. It's, it, I think of it as a product for people like me. Right. People like me who are, like, I enjoy meat. But I do think it should be more of a commodity. I think the meat industry as it is, is, is a big contributing factor to our global problems. Um, and I think we, like, meat should come back to being a locally sourced thing. It should be a lot more expensive. Um, and it shouldn't be, it's, I had this conversation, I got really lucky when Nadine Redzepi came out to do her book signing at Now Serving. Um, to talk to her about it and she was saying like they they eat meat rarely but it's like it's a locally sourced product they love it yeah but it's not like it's not an everyday thing as right. much anymore right and it should not be the biggest thing when you look at your plate right it should be mostly vegetables yeah. and grains and then meat and yeah and i think taking like putting the impossible burger on the menu is 
like it's not necessarily the best business move it's insanely expensive still for restaurants um but like the only way that gets cheaper is when more people start using it put your money your money where your mouth is exactly so um, you know in addition to your old cafe uh you are a man about the scene um in the la i don't think there's an la food event where you don't get called for and i think that's partially because <laughs> of your reputation of being able to show up and not run out of food um, well, it's, it seems like a fairly simple concept to someone like me. It's like if someone asks you to make 2,000 portions, make 2,000 fucking portions. Yeah. Um, what do you love about doing those events? Outside of just obviously getting your name mm-hmm. out and things like that because it's a grind. It's a grind it on is. top of that. But you, you, you do it and you do the charity work and you smile and you're out and you're posting from it. Like, What do you love about it? I, I'm a very social person. I like interacting with people. I like meeting potential customers having that like that first initial reaction also it's just fun to do give someone like a little taste of what you could do and it's always like give someone something surprising and it's like most of the food events i end up doing something that's vegan or vegetarian just because no one fucking does it yeah it's like these like la food and wine hell beach food and wine they're all like dick measuring contests for chefs. Ooh. And so everyone's just Great trying to see dick. how much love it. How much foie gras and caviar they can put on something. Yeah. I love foie gras and caviar as much as the next person, and I don't do caviar bumps with Dave Bernal all day, every day. Yeah. But it's there's a lot of people who don't eat meat. Or, or just foie need gras. A, something a little different at these events. Yeah. Or just like something to mix it up. Something that's equally as delicious. Like that's my biggest I think my biggest thing with Yarrow is I've been really focusing on calling it vegetable focus as opposed to just vegetarian and vegan. Yeah. Because I'm just focusing on these delicious vegetables and bringing all their flavors out as opposed to just focusing on making a bunch of dishes that are vegetarian and vegan, which means just taking the proteins out of them. Yeah. And that's because I, th- I feel like that's insulting to somebody who's chosen that as a lifestyle. Right. You're literally just like, oh, here's the leftovers. Yeah, but... Of what, what was once a cool dish. Right, but when the vegetarian-focused food is as good as at Yarrow, you don't even miss it. Yeah, and that's the goal. Like, I don't I don't want you to be thinking, oh, this toast would be so much better with... Bacon. What? Bacon? On? No. Or that the breakfast burrito, instead of cauliflower, yeah. needs chorizo. Right. It's like, I love bacon, and I love chorizo, but I'm not doing it for this one, so I want to actually focus on some... We work with an amazing group of farmers in the Fresno Valley... Food Roots is an amazing organization that I've wanted to work with for forever and finally had a concept in a part of town where the price point that I could work at made it actually affordable to use that. Um, And it's been so exciting. Like getting that delivery every Friday literally tickles me pink. Like the tomatoes are so freaking good. I mean, tomatoes, I've uh, I've said, when you see tomatoes as a leading ingredient on a dish in the summer in LA, that's what you're ordering. Yeah. Now, before we run out of time, okay. I just want to sort of bring it all together because, you know, you've made your way to LA, you've carved out your own spot, um, you're a man about town. How do you feel about your place in the scene, the scene in itself? You know, do you feel that you, I know that you said that you sometimes can get uh, intimidated, but I feel like you've written your own check here, which not a lot of chefs get to do, um, especially you know, if all you focus on is coming up in the traditional way, which mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with, and I no. think there's absolutely like a beauty in that. Yeah. But where do you feel that you sit in this scene? What do you think the current state is? Where do you see the future of the LA scene, food scene going? 
Oh, I mean, the LA food scene has the sky's the limit for what we do. I, I think I take issue with a lot of people who want, like, obviously everyone knows the Michelin Guide is going to come back to LA. If the, if it doesn't, it's it's a bad move on Michelin's part because I mean it's crazy. It needs like they need us for credibility at this point. LA does not need the Michelin Guide, nor do ninety percent of the people who are not Curtis Stone. Yeah, want it back. Um, and nothing against Curtis Stone. I just I I, I don't Curtis. like I don't want the Michelin Guide here. I think a lot of what we've been able to accomplish as as chefs here and building these these restaurants that are actually speaking to chefs roots and yeah. and their cultures is because we weren't worried about yeah. white tablecloth experiences and you know it's like i i like the elements of service that that i i think you know people can always work on like maybe when a fork drops under my table pick it up but i mean here's but, the thing is that even a place like mod which is one of the most yeah, fine dining delicious. places and delicious uh, is its own type of fine dining yes. that you would not find in New York because at that price point in New York, you need yeah. unlimited captains. You need the white tablecloth. You yeah. need that. Like that is a place that's unique to LA because yeah. it's it's like market driven. It's regional driven. It's idea driven. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to Andre for the best wine list. Andre and shout uh, out to uh, Justin for uh, holding it down in the kitchen. Yes. Uh, yeah, they're uh, Piedmont. End of year menu. Oh my god, be. that was really good. I mean, that mushroom dish killed me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the as far as my my place in the scene, I just I hope I keep get getting to make great food, and um, I think you know there's a lot of places to go for the LA food scene. It's all gonna be good, um, and I just want to keep doing everything I can. Like I know I have a, an advantage over a lot of people because I'm six feet tall and white sure. and a man um but i you know everything i can do to continue bringing putting attention on people like you know my homies at lhasa and yeah. my my buddy chat oh god i'm Ch blanking on names all over the place charles alalia oh my god but just like none of these people need it's i just want my friend ria at pcp is making incredible food and i'm so crazy excited to see what she does in the future yeah i just like i i want people who don't always fit the mold get, yeah it's that's why la is so special that's why yeah. i love this city so much me too and why i'm never leaving no it's you're it's, stuck with me it celebrates all all food all kinds and makes it a very level playing field yes uh royce thank you so much thanks for having me so great if people want to come visit you at Yarrow Cafe online in real life, where can they go? So, YarrowCafeLA.com. Uh, just Yarrow Cafe on Instagram. Royce underscore Burke on the IG. And then uh, Yarrow is located at 487 South Fairfax. A block from LACMA and a, like a block and a half from the Grove. Something awesome. like that. It's right in between. Awesome. And stay tuned for some uh, secret lasagna. It's coming, baby. Big news. Off the record. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> so stick around. We have a live performance coming up in studio. But here is another song from the archives on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk combined with expertise in affinage is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Surchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Speaking of singing, Move along. we got the Static Jackson here. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Working on it. Transition 101. Yeah, yeah. Transition 101. Yeah. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Hello, thanks for having uh, us. Jersey natives, now New Yorkers, most of you. Now still, still, New still Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. Uh, what are you representing in Jersey? Uh, no, better question. What's, what diner do you represent in New Jersey? I represent Vicky's Diner. Westfield, Westfield New, New Jersey. Jersey. Vicky's, yeah. yeah. What, what do you get? What's special? Their cheeseburgers are amazing. Uh, good, good tuna melt. Yeah, they have a great tuna melt. Diner tuna melt in Jersey. Uh, that might be my last meal. Wait, wait a second. It's fantastic. But I still want to know where you represent just where you live. North, south. Oh, uh, central, central, central. Georgia. Georgia. So that would mean if you were rooting for a hockey team, you'd be rooting for Rangers. The Devils. Come on. I mean, they're Rangers. Not- oh, here's- see, this is and, that, wait, wait, and that's the end of Snagatoo. Because we are both Flyers fans, and you guys oh, can go. Uh, you watch the Winter Classic. Oh yeah. You watch twenty four seven. Yes, I we did. did yeah. yeah. Well, no. I, you know what? Actually, I watched the first three twenty four seven, and then, and then I didn't discouraged. watch the last one because, like, I I do not need to watch the lo- the Flyers lose yeah. again. No, they actually win in twenty four seven. Yeah. Wrote it. Yeah, that's wrote the way it. the refs won, at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so welcome. Conspiracies. So wait, so uh, what is? I mean, how much time do you spend commuting into New York City, or do you guys have like a like a home base set up in Jersey, like clubs and shows you play, or how does it work? We used to commute into New York a lot because before we had any like representation or label support or anything, we used to go to Union Square and just we really busked every single day, and that's actually that helped us get. A lot of our team members, I feel like, um, who we have now. So we did. Give, give us one story. Yeah. And a shout out opportunity as well. Uh, let's a see. story from Busking. Uh, I mean, they're, they're like crazy ones about like the homeless people that we. Give we us a positive one. The crazy <laughs> ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, with their, this is positive. There is a homeless guy who in Union Square who hates Brad Pitt. That's not the positive part. The positive <laughs> part is that whenever we would get like shit from other performers, maybe who wanted to come in, like when we were on a quick break or whatever. This homeless guy would go and like get the, like yell at them like Nah, this is their spot. Get out of here, and, and people awesome. would leave. It's yeah, Jr. Jr. Shout out to Shout Jr. Out JR. And now JR. he sells merch for you guys. And there we go. Now so he's our, awesome. He's our he's lawyer. Our so amazing. Yeah, that's that's a true New York story. Yeah. So it's your lawyer. Yeah, yeah. you pay him more money. Ah. <laughs> I hate Brad Pitt. Pay them more money. Yeah. So so you know things started getting better, and then you s- just kept things more Jersey. Or you really didn't have to spend as much time like. It, it's it's really a matter of like we don't have any money and we're not making money so we have to live at home still uh but new york is it's like you know with no traffic a 20 minute drive or train ride so like uh path train yeah exactly yeah the path train and um what's it like what's it like busking in union square it was always an adventure Um, i mean it it's not as good now because uh like apparently all the rules changed we kind of stopped doing it because they made you stand like right on the curb where all the cars were always racing by and you couldn't hear anything because there were just like trucks idling and stuff uh but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 
It just got real tense in here. These food trucks. We're not allowed back. Uh, did you? I mean, what was it like that first day that you're setting up? Did you just like we're going to go to Union Square and busk, or did you have to talk to somebody? No, uh, no yeah. we just did it. It was kind of like scary. Was really I was like, scary. I guess I'm just gonna start singing really yeah. loudly right now. Was uh, it all acoustic, or did you have any like small amplifiers? Well, we used to we. Uh, we would bring a briefcase and drumsticks and a tambourine, and I would like bang on all these things, and we would all be singing. And they would there would be two acoustic guitars, and um, we used to bring a little amp for a for a bass, like a wireless. But we that got shut down pretty quickly because we figured out the rules pretty quickly. Like there are certain areas of the on the subway where you just can't do it because you need a permit. But then there are certain times of the day where they'll like be kind of lenient with you. But then if you have anything electrical, they they don't joke around with that stuff. They make you. Shut it. You need a permit for anything like that. Mm. So we stopped bringing that. So that pan flute guy's got a permit. Yeah. yeah. I, he, he, <laughs> yeah. He's made a career out of that. I mean, every day since I've been here for Hustling, six man. years. Yeah. Uh, why don't we hear a song? Let's, sure. let's knock it out of tune. Something that, what are you guys going to play hey, first? You, something from the busking days? Should we do one of the old busking ones? Yeah, which... Uh... Um... Or not? No, we no. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. We'll do don't let them back down. I was just trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was no, trying good. for something. I was trying for a nice transition. Walls. Unlike, yeah, let's do walls. Yeah, yeah we'll do okay. walls. Uh, which way? Would this go? Here, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't have the briefcase. It has since been retired. But I'll. Do you want to use a pizza? I could maybe bang these together in some sort of. <laughs> no, I'm gonna use my my body parts. All right, here we go. Uh, Stag Jacks live on Stag Tunes. <clears throat> All right. Do you need headphones? No. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here, you might want to listen. Honey, darling, sweetheart, time is 
Nice. Sounds uh, this is a little different from uh, from the record. How did you not blow your voice no, out? No, but I I, I was like <laughs> busking. Busking. Yeah, I yeah. did. That was I a big very problem. much did. It was a uh, it was a uh, it was a big problem because I like would have to like not do it before we would like if we had have like a show on Friday I could only do it like Monday and Tuesday because <laughs> otherwise I would just like have no voice. I can I can imagine. Yeah. And they wouldn't let you have like any amplified vocals at all for yeah. no, definitely not. Not even like uh, one of those old like 1940s, you know, rowing one mega. They saw <laughs> cable. I guess I, the cops came. No, no, no. That's uh, oh, yeah, no, that was, he, he means just like the cone. Yeah, the cone. Oh, oh yeah. That's, I guess yeah. yeah, yeah so that was a, we could have used you guys back then. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. So, hey, that's so, a free one, guys. So how did you go from uh, from busking to Fearless Records? <laughs> How does um, anyone get to Fearless Records? No, uh, uh, through El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how. <laughs> that was the last piece of the puzzle, actually, in our, in our career. Are, are we missing some pieces? I yeah. mean, yeah. Okay. Like, on the strength of the bus game and the EP we had released, we gained our... We went down to South by... Yeah, it was self-released. It was called Laces. And we went down to South by Southwest, like, kind of on our own. What year? Oh, man, that was 2010, 2010, right? 2010. Yeah, 2010. And we came back with our booking agent, Heather, at Paradigm, Heather Colker at Paradigm. And that was, like, the first major, um, like, piece of the puzzle, anyone who had, like, decided they were going to take us on in the industry. Except for our lawyer, JR. Yeah, except for our lawyer. Yeah. JR. Yeah. He was on JR. day one. <laughs> JR, man, he's been there since day one. He's, <laughs> he's really been a, a treasure. And then it just kind of, like, every like everything else fell into place, and Fearless was, like, the last piece and we've just kind of been touring on and off as much as we can ever since and um you guys are going across the pond in february yeah it's like a week actually for no uh, like a what it's like a week from now oh yeah Yeah. we're going to be there for like a month in a week that's amazing and where are you going first time over there uh we were we were in london over thanksgiving actually for the week uh playing a bunch of shows when they weren't on holiday break because they don't celebrate. They don't celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Nobody cared. Nobody yeah. cared. Where are yeah. you guys? Uh, where are you guys absconding to? We start in Paris on um, February eighth, yeah. and then we move Heard around. Of it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we move around Germany, <laughs> Switzerland, Netherlands, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, Belgium, and then we go back to uh, England. Yeah. Any uh, food you're excited to try while you're over there? What were the things that we ate when we were like? I don't um, think we tried anything. Belgian waffles and yeah. chocolate. <laughs> We're excited about um, going to Belgium. You got to go get those salty beef bagels on the end of Brick Lane in London. The, the oh, bagel oh, really? made out we're of beef. Last time. I know how that sounded. There's beef in between the bagels, okay. but they're not baked. Yeah, whatever you say. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell you. Yeah, no, uh, London's yeah, right, great. Right London's great for food. And uh, are you excited to go to Europe? I mean, this is this is big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm. Uh, yeah, we're. There's a bunch of amazing things that we're doing over there that we've never even come close to doing anything like that. Such as? Well, well, the reason we planned this tour was because we we were on tour with the Wombats through all of um, the fall in America, and they invited us to play three shows with them in London, and one of them's at Brixton Academy, which is like... Wow. wow. Yeah, so that we built the tour around that, and then we're playing with like a show with our good friend Devin Theralt, who I think was in here. Yeah, he yeah. was here two or last week. Oh, yeah, Devin was in here yeah, two, two weeks, weeks ago we with, with the wonderful Ali in Georgia. Yeah. We listen. He's he's a funny guy, Devin. Devin he's a Devin's funny great, guy. Yeah. He's got he's he's loud. I mean, his music is. <laughs> yeah, he's got personality. He's got personality. He yeah. does. We love Devin, and we're excited to be there with him. And so good we're friends, just you know. Friends, yeah. So did you find that like Howler, yeah. you had a couple anchor shows, and then like once you were over there, it all just kind of began to like roll out. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you have a European team as part of your puzzle? Yeah, we have yeah. A, a UK and European uh, like booking agent. Shout out. Shout, Shout out. Steve's Steve's app. App. Shout out. This is the time. This yeah. is the time. This is the time. It's time boy. to get it all See out you there. next week. Yes. What are, you guys got a van? What are you guys, how are you guys getting around? Well, here we do have a van, and actually, to go to connect the puzzle, we a lot of the money that we used on the van we made while busking, so that was actually very mm. profitable mm. for us. Yeah. But in Europe, we um, I think we, we have a, a driver who we used last time in a sprinter because we can't drive over there like you can't drive. Mess. I mean, we could, but I I think no one felt comfortable with renting a van and having just us drive for that whole time. I wouldn't trust you. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't trust no. us either. If you guys could see these faces, I wouldn't trust They're you. They're from Jersey. <laughs> Have you ever seen anyone who yeah. drives in Jersey? It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, right, we're already on the left side of the road yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah. Why, don't we, uh, <laughs> why don't we get another song? They'd be like, make a left turn. Like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Just cutting people off. Exactly. Uh, why don't we play something off the record? Sure. Sure. Static Jacks, uh, here we go again, live on Snacky Tunes. Sure. sure. Thighs here. Yeah. <laughs> I could bang on. Is that no? That won't resonate. Well, oh, maybe I'll do a little of that. There we go. There we go. Tone change. Is that too? No, that'll be good. Yeah. Sounds like a kit. Yeah. All right.
Yeah. <laughs> What's that song called? Into the Sun. It's what uh, we played the opening. Yeah. Uh, people well, just tuning in, they might want to know. Yeah. Into people just tuning in. Actually, we usually just do podcasts. Though. Yeah. Uh, when <laughs> you look pretty dumb. When you write a jam like that. What's the process And at what point Do you look a, over each other And you go We just wrote a killer jam <laughs> That one literally Happened like that Where we were in the basement Like trying to Figure out that chorus And then when someone Played that lead part We literally looked at each other And went Oh that's a, like, That's right. great I'm sorry what, what, What's the lead part <laughs> the, the, the like wah, 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 nah, nah. Yeah. yeah Whatever the chorus Yeah it But was. like the Working title of that song Was Pop City that's how we felt about that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it turned out so, to be not at all. But in the originally, we were like, we're like, this, this is, is the poppiest like, thing. This we've is ever gold. Been. Yeah. So Pop when you guys, gold. when you guys write something like that, and then I know you did the record with Chris Shaw, who's yeah. like Ted Leo, who we're huge fans. Oh, good. You like Ted Leo? Weezer. Well, I mean, you know, I call him on Sundays. We trade vegan recipes. Oh my god. Uh, but when you write a song like that, how does someone like Chris come in and like kind of hone it, or you know, help you guys elevate it to like another level? Um, it was. All, I guess, like, in his production, like, the way... I mean, he's uh, an engineering genius, I think. I mean, he just really gets, like, a loud, full sound. Like, you know, he engineered Weezer's Blue album. And, like, the guitars on that are, like, unbelievable. I mean, yes. To this day. One of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just to, I mean, have that on your resume pretty much gave us an idea of what... You you ever hear the Blue album? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I did that. (laughs) Exactly. He literally had stories about, like, he'd be like, oh, yeah, me and Bob. And we were like, Bob? And he's like, oh, sorry, Bob Dylan. (laughs) We were just hanging out and we were like... Like like me and Ted? Yeah, like you and Ted. It's It's never you and Ted. It's (laughs) me and Mia. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) But, yeah, uh... And so now, uh, so now you guys gearing up. You guys going to meet us down in Austin, South by? I really hope so. We haven't been there since that first original time, and I think, I mean, the it's like unless we're offered like an amazing tour through all of March, we I think we we'll I, we yeah. really want to go. Yeah. It's, uh, you, didn't, you didn't think about uh, record cycles when you were writing that first record. <laughs> yeah. and it didn't like really factor in like an August release. What does that really mean? I know. Screw <laughs> yeah. the pooch on that one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It seems to be working out for you guys quite well. It's good, Frankie. yeah. And what are you looking yeah. forward to doing? Uh, what are you What are you guys hoping to do? Just full U.S. tour after Europe and just keep... I mean, yeah, we're always looking to tour. It's kind of like, offer us a tour. We'll go We'll go on it. <laughs> Maybe op- contact <laughs> JR. JR. Yeah, yeah, right? the details. We, no, dude. Yeah. Is there a new driver? Yeah, too, too bad he blew that Moneyball uh, sync yeah, job. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully maybe one day uh, tour with label mates, ATDI. Yes, that would be interesting. I have to drive in. God, that would yeah, be wow. Right. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you guys for coming on. Thank you thank for you. having Big us. Shout out yeah. to your publicist. She was so she was relentless in the best way possible. You have, and it sounds like you have a good team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like yeah. you have a good team. Yeah. And are the busking days over? Are you going to do like a ten year busking anniversary? Maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we love to busk. It's just the it seems like the law got a lot stricter. Like we get we never used to get kicked out, and then the like the last few times we went. They would make us move, and we were like, "This is ridiculous." They have like markers now on the ground where you can go, uh, and it's like right in the crosswalk. It's all that like, long hair, guys. I know. Short haircuts and ties. You won't get kicked out of anywhere. It's yeah. true. That's true. Really um, so do. why don't we close out with one more song? Wait yeah. a second. Sure. Okay. How can people find you? Oh yeah. What uh, is your Friendster profile? <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> I don't think I was born with that. Oh, <laughs> oh come on. We're, uh, we're a little too young to be dated. Yeah. No, it's just facebook.com slash the static jacks or the static jacks.com or you can email us, you know, the static jacks at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> gmail. Twitter at the static jacks. Uh, 
We do have a MySpace. I don't know if anyone's and, used uh, it since 2007. And where can they buy the record? The record you can buy, I think, like anywhere. Like definitely online, Amazon, iTunes. It should be in like your local Barnes and Noble and F. Strawberry, Sam Goody, et cetera. Sa- Sam Goody. Coconut Records. Oh my Coconut God, we Records had a Sam Goody in our town for like well, years. Peaches, yes. All the, when you needed a fruit name to be a <laughs> record store back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much, Brian. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah. We'll be big back. Big ice cream. Big ice cream. And we'll be come. back next uh, week. You won't. No, I won't. Uh, but next week is Edie Sedwick, the band. <laughs> and the actress. Surprise. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, you guys are all like, oh, wow, there's Jackie's going to Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, and stay tuned for two weeks for our... Um, Third annual uh, oh my Jordana God, Rothman timeout New York uh, trend report. Oh, and, and uh, also just a quick uh, shout out to everyone who sent in the kind well wishes and words after the show uh, last week. Really? I only got an email from mom. Oh. That's it. <laughs> mom. Right. Thanks, mom. But I was trying to make it seem more important than we were, but we're not that important. Mom's pretty important. And uh, we are, uh, and we'll be down at South By. So if you guys go down there, we're doing a big old panel. Snacky Tunes Live. So here we go. Stack Jacks, one last time. What do you take? What's the name of the song? This is Young Guns, and it's a new one uh, that'll be on an EP coming out later this year. Is it about the movie? It is about the movie. movie. (laughs) (laughs) Young Guns, too. He wasn't bored.
listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.